preface that with this because Paul uses some language that straight off the bat to our natural ear sounds a little sharp, a little hard to get a hold on, and um, it may even like poke a few things in us that are unreconciled. And so he uses words like submit. (laughs) Let's just leave it at that. That's a tough one in itself right there that most of us internally right now are probably getting a little uncomfortable and all sorts of things going on for us. But I want to start, though, with helping you understand something about this whole area of submission that Paul talks about. You see, I'll never forget the night that the defences of my heart and the walls that I had established around my life began to crumble underneath the pursuit of God's love for my life. I'll never forget it. It was like a damn wall that had a small crack in it and started the water behind the wall just started to like leak through and um, started to leak through more and more as, as God's love was pursuing me more and more. The crack started to open up more and more. And before you know it, there was just a flood of love from him to me and from me to him. It was a, it was a moment where God broke me open and his relentless love for me won me. And at no point did he hold me on the canvas and beat me into submission like a pro wrestler or an MMA fighter. He didn't beat me into submission. I, you know, when I was about 15, I had this um, rather flattering experience of a young lady saying to me, she said, oh, Kirk, you need to know something. And I said, what's that? And she said, um, God's told me that we're going to get married. <laughs> and I, I, was, I thought, oh, that's very flattering, isn't it, you know? Did, you know, whoo, that was great. And I said, well, I'll just, I'll let you know uh, when he tells me that, I'll let you know and we'll do something about that then. Well, anyway, this young lady spent like a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of resource pursuing me, wanting me to know that we were going to get married one day. And to me as a 15, 16 year old bloke, I thought that was, you know, (laughs) That was pretty good. You, you get what I'm talking about, Dave. That was pretty good. Uh, you know, but then it didn't matter as much as she was pursuing me. That wasn't the end reality. But the point was that she was in pursuit of me because she was in love with me. She had an idea of doing life together with me. And, and you know, when it comes to the ways of God, he's in pursuit of us. He has, a, he has a, a love agenda and a kingdom life plan with us, together with him. And he's in pursuit of us constantly, sending us letters, sending us people, sending us dreams, sending us visions, sending us, we might call them happenstance moments where he's trying to communicate to us time and time and time again, hey, I love you, I have planned for you, I want to see your life become full and I want you to do this thing called life with me. And I, I can clearly remember that that moment came that night 
where my life was set free from sin and shame and my life became filled with joy and hope because he was relentlessly pursuing me with a new life for me. It was a life where he took my old way and he gave me his love and his life. Where once I used to have a a time limit of capacity for people, after which point I just put everyone in the category of you're just annoying, to all of a sudden grace, where it was like people were no longer annoying to me. All of a sudden he took me and transformed me he pursued me with love and his I'll never forget that night he was so overwhelmingly inviting he was so overwhelmingly given to me he he was trying to let me know I'm given to you God was trying to let me know that and in exchange there was a, my strong no God became one over as the Spirit just kept loving me and loving me and inviting me towards Jesus and to know Jesus. And then over a course of time, my heart found itself starting to say, yes, God. I'd stopped saying no and I started saying yes, And at that point, as Jesus invaded my space, my heart, my will, my body, my everything began to open to him. I began to give God my yes, my life, then my will, my will. I gave him my will, my my right to determine for myself what I thought would be a great life, what I thought it should look like. I, I, I gave that to him. He didn't demand it of me, and yet his love was compelling. He didn't hold me on the canvas and beat me up until I said, until he said, "Will you just submit?" No, he just pursued me and pursued me and pursued me to the point where his love was so compelling that, in the words of some of those old hymns demanded my life, my heart, my everything. That was the only fitting response. God didn't override my will. He won my will by showing me and letting me experience the extravagance of a new life in Jesus. He didn't didn't override my will. He won my will. He won me. Has Jesus won you? Has he won you? Has he won the extravagance of your will in response to his will? Today in our Bible reading, Paul invites us as new Christians and to the Christian community in Ephesians He invites them to a new way of living, remembering these are a bunch of people that have have encountered Jesus, Coming, a a bunch of them coming out of pagan spiritual practices and another bunch of them part of a long line of the Jewish-Israel story of God. And all of a sudden, the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles now, Ephesians 2 tells us, it's all been taken away. And those 
who were once the only ones allowed inside and those who were only allowed on the outside, all of a sudden God took the dividing wall away in Jesus and said, righto, I'm making a massive family in this earth where no longer is it Jew and Gentile or Jew or Gentile. It's all people. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. This is for everyone. This is the good news, the good work of God. So let's open up Ephesians chapter 5. And you, when, when, when you hear, hear me read these words, and you hear that word submit, you've got to hear it in the context of a relationship where God has pursued a people to let him know of the good life that he's won for them in Jesus. And these people have experienced the generosity of the Holy Spirit and now they're saying, show us how to live a full and flourishing life, God. Okay? So you've got to hear it through that lens. (laughs) You've got to hear it through that lens. Ephesians 5.21 Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body which, of which he is the saviour. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Can I just at this point also say this? I need to make this statement. Marriage is not the goal of your life. Can I just say that? That is not the biblical calling, high calling of everybody's life. To be married is not your calling. Marriage has a very important part in the works of God, in the procreation of life as God would have it, but it's not your high calling. I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute, so just hang on to that one. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and washing uh, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish but holy and blameless. Hey, did you listen to Neil's message two weeks ago on righteousness? If you didn't, get on get on to, um, what do we call it, SoundCloud, iTunes, look it up and have a listen. Very excellent, just fantastic teaching on who we are to God and before God. Um, holy, blameless, really important message that one. Go back and listen to that one. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He's quoting there from Genesis. He's gone right back and reaching into the long story of God. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. Why would Paul be having to talk about marriages? Because these people have had dysfunctional understandings of marriage. And so Paul is trying to bring a new health and a new perspective of life in marriage. And then he also goes on about, in chapter 6 here, the start of chapter 6, about children. 
and parenting and family life. Why is he going on about this? Because in his time and his context and his culture, children were not even considered as valuable until after they'd reached puberty. So in their, you know, 11, 12, 13, at that point, all of a sudden they became human beings. Before that, they were expendable things. And it's a real shame and a blight on our day and our culture and our context. I'm not saying the church. I'm just saying culturally when we make decisions at the expense of children. It's a blight. This is the hope of the God. The hope of the gospel comes to try and bring health and life to children. And that's so for Paul to write in the scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was a massive cultural deal. No one was doing that because children were not even valued. And so by Paul writing this under the help of the Holy Spirit, God is saying children are really, really important to me and there is a way of life and health for them that we need to consider and take into, take into stock and follow God into. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is, the, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. He goes on to slaves and masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ, obey them, not only to win their favour with their eye on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does and whether he is slave or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Let's just leave that for now. Ephesians two, uh, Ephesians 5.21, Paul here is talking about submitting. He uses that wonderful word. Now, let me try and explain that a little bit more. Some of you may know the story of this gentleman here, Eric Liddell. He was Scottish-born uh, athlete, and he competed for um, the United Kingdom in um, the 1924 Olympics in Paris. Now, Liddell, Eric, he was also a um, he was a missionary to China, and he actually um, had the call of God on his life as a missionary to China, and he left his post there in China to come to the Olympics to compete. And um, it, it's, it's, his story is an incredible one. In fact, there's a movie made about it, Chariots of Fire. You've probably seen Chariots of Fire. You might have to dust that one off. It's probably been a while since you've watched it. But Chariots of Fire, it's a, it's a great movie and it takes up some of his story. Well, as in part of his story, when he was at the Olympics, the amazing thing about Eric was that he he, was, he chose to disqualify himself from the 100 metres because 
the, the, the heats for the 100 metres at the Olympics was being held on a Sunday. But for Eric, in his, out of his understanding and love for Jesus and his love for, for God was, hey, I don't, I don't compete on Sunday. I just don't do that. And yet everyone was like, you've got to do this because you are a sure thing to take the 100 metres. And he said, no, I just, no, I'm not, I'm not, just not going to do it because out of my relationship of love for Christ, I'm choosing not to do that. I'll just do the 400 metres, which he competed in because it was on a weekday, the other six days. So for him, that was a really just important expression of his love for God. Now, we might look at that and get want to get all sort of overlay over that, all sorts of legalistic thinking. Don't do that. This is just this guy's understanding of how he can best love God. And he's trying to figure it out, just like you and I are trying to figure it out. And so he chose to disqualify himself from the 100, but he ran in the 400 and did extremely well and took a medal. Now, there was the, there's a famous scene in this, um, in this movie where um, of uh, chariots of fire, where Liddell Eric is talking with his wife, and she is saying, "Come on, Eric, um, we need to pay attention to the callings of God on our life, and I want you to sort of give up the running and let's go back to China." And he he says to her, he says, um, "I truly believe that God has made me for a purpose." And that purpose is to be a missionary back in China. But he has also made me fast. I love that. There's no competition in that statement, is there? There's no tension in that statement for him. There's no either or. It's both end. But he's also made me fast. And these are his famous words. He says, and when I run... I feel his pleasure. And to give that up would be to hold him in contempt. You're right, he said to his wife. It's not just fun. To win is to honour him. Liddell had no, no problem with following the aspirational pursuits of a vocation of following God, wherever that took him. And ultimately it was China. And he went back to China and in the end he died of a brain tumour. Um, and um, he, he, he served God there. But he also had no problems in recognising that God's also made me fast. I can run. Well, what's running got to do with the economy of God in the earth and the extension of the kingdom of God? Well, at that time, the way that he lived out that sense of God's made me quick and I can run. And the way he chose to do that spoke to many of his peers of how Eric lived for a greater glory than his own. You see, God invites us to become these people who are fully given over to Jesus. Liddell was a husband. Liddell was a missionary. Liddell was an athlete. And perhaps one of the greatest impacts that he has had in my reading of his life is that he gave himself over. He gave his will over to God. And in the process of all of that, he discovered that the glory of God in his life is for him to live 
every moment fully alive in this world. That's our high calling. That's our high calling. To live our life in such a way that, the, that in response to this enormous lavish love of God towards us in Jesus captures our hearts in such a way that whether we are a missionary, whether we are a mechanic, whether we are a full-time parent, whether we are a teacher, whether we're in university, whether we're a salesperson, whether we drive taxis, Ubers, it doesn't matter where we are. It's are we fully alive and experiencing the pleasure of God in that activity? For that is our great high calling. I can sense a whole bunch of job dissatisfaction in the room right now. It's because your job is not the source of your life. The job is the context in which God has brought you to that you might live alive in him and experience the pleasures of him in that context for his greater glory and your joy. See, the job is not the source of the life. The paycheck is not the source of the life. The fame, the accolades, that's not the source of the life. The source of the life is Jesus. And in response to him, we become fully alive in any and every context. When we hear Paul calling the early Christians and he says to us who have encountered the Holy Spirit, this whole idea and this conversation about being submitted to God and to each other is one where we're coming into an understanding that there is an invitation here from God that our will and our life could actually be full and flourishing that we could live in a place and from a place of being won over by the love of God, fully alive, experiencing his pleasure and with a sense of divine purpose and destiny, that we might live like Liddell. I mean, just look at his face there in that moment as he's crossing that, that line there, as the tape's hitting his chest. You just see he's experiencing the pleasure of God. I've been made for this and he's living in that moment. This is what Jesus has for all of us, that we might live in that space fully alive. Submission to God. A couple of weeks ago, you may remember I used this big word that the early church fathers had about just the, the nature of the relationship that God has with himself called the periochoresis. Anyone remember that big one? No? <laughs> what does it mean? It literally means the dance that's going on inside the Godhead between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a, there's a quote that um, this guy, McLaren, uh, this is it's a bit wordy, but it kind of gives you an understanding of the relationship that's going on inside the Godhead. McLaren says this, God as a being in communion as a loving trinity of dancing or periochoresis, a sacred choreography of self-giving, other-receiving, honouring, being honoured, fully seeing the other, 
fully revealing self. Imagine the eternal one anotherness who is by nature non-assimilating, non-isolating, non-dominating, non-eliminating, non-overthrowing, non-competing and non-victimized or victimizing. That's, pr- that's a mouthful. <laughs> it's a headful, actually, to get your head around that one. But I think he's onto something. I think McLaren is trying to help put into words what the Scriptures reveal about the relationship that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit share with each other as they submit themselves each to the other and yet honour each other at the same time. That's, that's a good one, that one. So when we see that dance of God and we hear the Scriptures talk to us about being like Jesus, um, who, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, there's as Jesus humbled himself to the Father's will, he got the affirmation of the Father at his baptism. Remember that voice that was heard from heaven saying, This is my Son. This is my son. As Jesus humbled himself to the, to the will and the ways and the work of the Father's heart, the Father honoured him with sonship in front of the whole world. And at that same time, the Spirit honoured Jesus' humility because the Spirit came upon him in power. Some said it looked like a dove came upon him in power. To the point, and so the Spirit honored Jesus as Jesus humbled himself to the work of the Spirit. There's this divine, oh, I see you. I choose to be for you. I honor your will, your works, your ways. And in doing so, there's this loving response from the Father and the Spirit saying, Hey, I give you the affirmation, you're my son. I give you sonship, and the Spirit says, I give you my presence, my power, my wisdom. I pour that all on you to the point where Jesus is able to then come into Galilee and say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me. You see, there's a, a, a humility and an honouring going on at the one time. This is what this submission dance is all about that God's inviting us into. And God's asking you and he's asking me if we'll do the submission journey with Jesus. Because the goal is not submission. The goal is coming alive. That's the whole thing about dying, burying and rising again. That's why we take our baptism in a public way. We go into the water to say that who I once was has now been died and buried. I'm choosing. Love has won me. Love has done a work in me. Love has won me over and I'm choosing to now lay who I am down for the will of another. And in the process of that, God accompanies our humility and our choice 
as broken and as fragile as it is in that moment, he honours that with his spirit and his sonship or his daughtership comes upon them, upon you, upon me. That's what baptism is about. And then we rise to new life, dead to sin and alive to God. We're living a new story now. Or we should be. Now the enemy gets a stink up about that and he does send a whole bunch of stuff to seek to rob, kill and destroy everything that God is doing. But when it comes to our marriage relationships, when it comes to our parent-child relationships, when it comes to our workplace relationships, when it comes to our relationships with people in government, when it comes to our relationships with people in authority, here we are being called by God to live a different story because God wants to win the world with love. Not, not, not over, not asserting power over people. He chose powerlessness through the death and resurrection of Jesus to win us. The Christian community is called to a new life in God. He releases his authority over us. He releases his spirit, his sonship over us. Let's imagine what it might look like as we submit to Jesus in the journey to becoming fully alive as human beings. I'm learning that to actively make room for and to celebrate the glory of God in and through my life and even in and through your life, we all together come alive. Um, Let me just give you a brief little illustration of this. Today, well, well, yeah. He's finished it now, but today my son is in Noosa and he's just finished the Noosa Triathlon along with 12,000 other people who are up there this weekend going crazy doing that stuff. But Luke has a great passion for this sport and over the last two years he's becoming more and more invested in it. And it's like he's coming alive more and more as he's engaging with it. As much as he complains about how sore and tired he is, he actually loves it. He has one of those Liddell faces on a lot of the time when he finishes <laughs> these things. But anyway, today Luke's up there and he's, he's, he's just buzzed me here to let me know I'm all good. I've finished it and he did it 20 minutes faster than last year and so he was very pumped about that. It only took him two hours, 40 minutes this year. Um, but being the family that we are, we Delaney's, we have a very busy life. Just to give you an illustration of that, in the last 12 months, I've had, well, I've had to get on an aeroplane 40 times in 12 months just to go and do what I have to do with serving what Jesus wants me to do. That's a lot of plane time. So it means Nicole and I and the kids, we literally, week about, have to get our diaries open in front of each other and sit down and say, now, what have you got on and when have you got that on? And then what we have to do is at the start of the triathlon season, Luke and now my youngest daughter, Sarah, she too is also doing these things, these triathlon things now. When is your training? When are the competitions? What are the dates that we need to... How much does each one of these cost? We have to like plan way ahead to try and get our lives all worked out and there's a rhythm to it, to the madness. 
<laughs> and we're still experiencing the joy in all of it, you know? We're trying to find that place and that rhythm. Well, anyway, we decided with Luke that this year Noosa was a no-go because we all had, we just wasn't going to work. We all had to be at different places and times and spaces. It wasn't going to work. Well, anyway, my son, in his relationship with God, has this uncanny like way about his relationship with Jesus. And as a result of the way Luke goes about doing things, he just he just leans in for stuff. Like he like like Noosa was a no go. A no go to the point where there was no tickets left. Like sold out, no tickets left. Until last Monday, or sorry, Friday week ago, the organisers of Noosa ring him and say, oh, Luke, you know, we, we see you haven't registered this year. You know, there's a whole bunch of other backstory to that. But anyway, he goes, yeah, no. They said, we want you to know we have a space for you to compete. So he's straight on the phone to me and Nick. Hi, guess what? I've got a ticket, I've got a space. You know, like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You know, I've got the last golden ticket. <laughs> it's like, I've got a space. They haven't, and I'm like, are they paying for it, mate? He goes, no. <laughs> no, he says, we got to pay. It's like 300 bucks to, just to compete, you know. Anyway, so I just said, well, buddy, I just said, mate, I got no... I got no spare cash. We've planned on this. The budget doesn't allow for it. Our timetable doesn't work. Blah, 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 blah. I said, I hate to be the party pooper, but I just don't see this happening. I said, what did you tell him? He said, I told him I'll take it. <laughs> and so anyway, I said, well, how are you going to pay for it? So he gets on the phone to work. He's, you know, he's part-time work. And they, he says, can you give me some more shifts? They said, yep, sure, no worries. We'll give you some more shifts. He gets his cash together in anyway he's at Noosa right now but the th the reason why I tell that story is is because in this journey of my son enjoying his coming alive to the pleasures of God as he's doing these triathlons I don't personally understand that concept of experiencing the pleasure of God in that endurance type stuff but he does in the midst of that he was given a gracious opportunity by the grace of God to do something that God knows brings Luke alive. But what has it meant for me? It's meant me and Nick and the girls, we've had to completely reorder, reorganise, readjust our whole last week and a half to facilitate what God was doing for him, for Luke. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, God is busy bringing each and every one of us alive into the purposes and the pleasures of God. And the context in which that takes place is that you and I look at each other and we go, I see the pleasure of God on you in this moment. And I, I, I come alive watching you come alive. And so I'm going to reorder my life my resources, my time, my passions, my energy, because I see you coming alive. And as I do that, I know God will bring me into life. Submit to one another 
out of reverence for Jesus because we see Jesus in each other. We see each other coming alive to God, alive to our divine purposes, alive. And it, and it, the cost factor, we will go here for that. We'll do whatever it takes to see each other come alive because God's writing a new story of his kingdom in the earth even as it is in the heavens, where people have laid down their life for the sake of another. And in the process of that, they get honoured. Even in the scriptures, Revelations talks to us about how the martyrs, the blood of the martyrs is honoured in the heavens because they've laid down their life for the sake of those to follow. God esteems with sonship. He esteems with his spirit. He pours out his kingdom power upon us as we choose to honour and submit to one another, see Jesus in each other and choose to mobile our life for the sake of each other coming alive. There's no other group of people doing this in the earth. There's no other group of people doing this in the earth. This is the calling of the church. For the glory of God and for our great joy. My point is this. That when Paul encourages us to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus, it's to actively choose to give ourselves to what God is doing in each other. It means we become secure. We're living from a place of realising I'm loved and you are too. And I can spend myself for the glory of God on your life because I know that you're doing the exact same thing for me. There's no other group of people doing this in the earth. to actively give our lives, to organise our lives, to posture the resources of our lives, to see the glory of God in each other, for each other to come alive. This is our great high calling, that when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. This morning, we're just going to finish by praying. And as we pray, for some of us right now, there's an invitation from God to come alive in your context. Remember, the life is not the context, not found in the context. The life is found in Jesus. But he's brought you into the context that you might be for his glory and your joy, experiencing his pleasure. There's some of us in here who feel like, you know what, it's, I don't know if I've ever actually experienced the pleasure of God. Or there may have been like, a hint of a moment where somewhere along the line you put your heart and life to something and your hands to something and you went, I feel so alive in this. But the enemy in the world and broken people around you crushed that in you. The Holy Spirit wants to bring that alive in you again today. He wants to bring you alive. And there may be for some of us in the room where God is saying, hey, it's time to actively steward the grace that I've placed on you for the sake of those around you coming alive. Because remember, you're my son. You're my daughter. I've placed my spirit upon you. I've made you for this. You are a gift to the people around you and to live from that place.
Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your people. I thank you for your church. And I thank you for the invitation to a whole new story, a whole new way of doing life. This whole thing of submission, of being won over by your love. That we would bring our will to you and say, God, I'm, I'm living for you. Holy Spirit, would you just come now? Come and just highlight the conversation that, that you're wanting to have with each heart right now. Just highlight that, Holy Spirit, I pray. Come. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you bring to surface now. Bring to the surface of our heart and our mind those moments, those places and those spaces during our life where we have started to experience God's good pleasure over us. Stir that up, Holy Spirit. Stir that up in in your people, God. Stir that up in them again, God. And where the enemy has, has doused that with doubt, where the enemy has sullied that with lies and through the broken words of others' judgments, I pray now, Holy Spirit, you just wash, 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 wash that all away. Just wash it all away, God. Wash it all away, God. And I thank you, Lord God, that Pine River's Vineyard is a place where we want to be a people who are fully alive. Teach us how to continue to just um, submit to each other out of reverence for Jesus. To serve our, to posture our lives in such a way for the sake of each other coming alive and you, Lord Jesus, getting all the glory. that the world might know that you are good, Lord. Pine Rivers Vineyard, you have entered a new season of life together. You are coming alive. And I bless that in the name of Jesus. And Nick and I will continue to just pour ourselves out for that, for that very reality. We love you and we honour and we esteem Jesus in you. We see him alive in you and we love what we see him doing in you and we love you and we welcome you to rise up and come alive into your divine callings and purposes that the pleasure of God would be yours. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.